Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. As we get started, I want to answer a question that has come up a number of times to get the answer straight from me. Here is the question. In those PowerPoints, are you matching the background of the PowerPoint with what you're wearing? Actually, the question is, the question is, who's doing that? That's an offensive question. It sort of sounds like, we know you can't do it, so who's doing it? That's what it sounds like. Truth of the matter is, it is me, I am doing it, and I did it on purpose. So, there you go. So, this morning, if you see the background and then you see this, you're going, ah, he's doing that on purpose, and you would be exactly right. Okay. Now, this morning we talked about things Jesus couldn't do. Let's talk about things he wouldn't do. Before we get into that part, this is not on the outline if you have one, I want to address a topic that has come up a number of times. And it fits well with what we talked about this morning. And I want to give you my concept on it, and you can peruse it for yourself. You can think about it, and we can maybe even consider it more deeply at a, at a different time. To say that there are things that Jesus couldn't do, some have said, well, I'll tell you this, He could not have failed in His mission. Well, if you mean He could not have failed and we still have a chance, then you're exactly right. Because if he failed, we're done for. We've got no hope, right? But that's not what they're asking. It's not what they're saying. I've heard people say, well, sure, he didn't sin, but he had all this help to make sure that he did not. Because if he had, it's over. If he had messed up just one time, it's over. Just like the Lamb of the Old Testament, one blemish made it refused. So the question then is, is it true that God had some kind of protective covering around Him so that He could not sin even if He tried to? Well, I don't think that would help us very much if that were true. I don't think it would help us much if my Savior did something for me, which is good, but He didn't do it because of His own choice and free will. It was because He was forced into it, prevented from doing otherwise. And then I think of what the Hebrew writer says in chapter 4, about verse 15, We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Now, if Jesus could not sin, impossible for Him to sin, then I say, it is impossible for him to be tempted. And if he couldn't be tempted, then how can he understand us when we are 
tempted. Now, I know that James 1 says, 12 and 13, God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he himself tempt anyone. The God nature of God could not be tempted. But Jesus set aside, emptied himself of that nature in order to take on humanity. Now, he retained the nature, but he operated in the nature he took on. And it was in the nature of humanity that he was tempted. Was he tempted as God? No, because he can't be tempted. But he was tempted as a human because humans can be tempted. Did he defeat the temptation as God? No, he defeated the temptation as a human. That's what makes him the high priest for us. So in the things that Jesus can't do, I don't put in the category, he could not sin, lest we then are failures. He could have. He was tempted, but he overcame. Well, you think about that. You mull that around in your head a while, and we can talk about it in an ongoing fashion if you so choose. Now, let's talk about things that Jesus wouldn't do. Now, the point of this is to give us some encouragement. Give us some peace. Because there are a lot of things that we question. There are a lot of things that concern us. There are a lot of things that we're unsure about. But I want us to know we can trust Jesus. Here are things he wouldn't do. No matter what, he's just not going to do it. Here's the first one. Jesus would never refuse us to ask questions. It's okay to ask a question. We say it a lot, right? What is the only bad question? Go ahead. The one you don't ask. That's right. The only bad question is the one you don't ask. God is the same way. He doesn't mind. Jesus doesn't mind if we ask questions. Now, he is never going to turn down an honest question if you want to know the answer. Never. Now, in Luke 20, the rulers came up to Jesus, 20 in 21 and 22 in that area, 23. And they said, hey, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? And the next verse says, and Jesus, knowing their craftiness, answered. You see, they were asking the question, but it wasn't an honest question. It was a crafty question. It was designed for another purpose. He is not going to refuse a question that we ask that we want to know the answer. The entire book of 1 Corinthians is built on the concept of asking questions. It literally says in chapter 7 and verse 1, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. 
Well, I know they were asking Paul, but they were asking Paul because Paul had learned from God. And so, in effect, they're asking God. So if we ask people that we respect with Scripture and we want their advice or their help, we are asking God. We're asking them because we think they know from God. And so God doesn't mind if you ask a question that you want to know the answer to. Number two, He doesn't mind if you have doubt. As long as the doubt leads to investigation. Now, if you have doubt and that doubt makes you sit down, it stops you dead in your tracks. If that doubt is an obstacle to living the life God wants, oh, he doesn't like that kind of doubt. But doubting? If it leads to investigation, is fine with God. When Jesus was approached by Thomas, Thomas had not been there when the other disciples had seen Jesus after his resurrection. And he said, I'm not going to believe it. I don't believe it until I put my fingers in the print of the nail, till I put my hand into the side wound. I'm not going to believe it. I doubt it. I'm going to doubt it until... Jesus came to him and he said, Thomas, here, here. Thomas was investigating. The doubt didn't make him stop. The doubt didn't make an obstacle in his path. He wanted to know the answer. So he came to Jesus. Jesus came to him. They met in the formal investigation. God does not mind if our questions come from doubt. As long as I'm willing to investigate in some way to answer that doubt. And God doesn't mind if you don't understand. As long as you maintain and hold on to the idea that God is right. There are a lot of things that we don't understand fully. There are a lot of things that God has not told us about that we would like to know. You know, we probably could put together a really good study on questions that you have found, thoughts that you have that God has not fully answered, and let's talk about them. And we would probably come up with a pretty good list. It's okay. I may not fully understand. I may get to the end of my investigation and say, you know, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. But I know God is right. I know God will do what is right. Maybe you've been asked, what about this situation? It's tough. And the person has died. What's God going to do? I don't know. That's his business. But I know this. He's going to do what's right. 
So any question you have that you want to know an answer to, that comes from doubt that you're willing to investigate, and that you know God is going to do what's right even if you don't understand it, Jesus will never refuse that question from you. Number two, Jesus will never refuse to help you in any trouble that you have in life. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter was written during a time, and you hear it in the text, when those Christians were going through some very difficult things. Verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If your reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He is blasphemed, but on your part, He's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this part. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. It doesn't matter what trouble you're going into. Maybe you're having trouble and problems because of your own poor actions. Sometimes we suffer difficulties because we have made poor choices, big mistakes, sin. He'll still help. If you're going through something that's not your fault, somebody else did it to you. Somebody else caused it. Somebody else brought it. He's still there. And if it's just the common stuff that everybody's going through, He's still there. He's not going to refuse to help. Now, I may not like His answer. I may not readily see the help. But back up to number one, if I'm willing to say he's always going to do it right, then he's never going to refuse me in any situation where I need his help. That should give us peace. Number three, Jesus will never refuse anyone who comes to him ever. Ever. 
You can't be, I can't be too bad, but that Jesus will accept me. Is there a worse candidate for the message of Jesus in Scripture than Saul the persecutor? In the early church, if you have an evangelistic mindset, take those early Christians. And they're thinking about how they're going to reach out. And somebody says, I know a great prospect. What's his name? Saul. <laughs> what? You mean you want to go and evangelize Saul? He's over there killing our brethren. You want to go teach him the gospel? That would not be a name that would come up in anybody's mind. But God's. There's something in him. No worse candidate, and yet how powerful a Christian he became. Thomas B. Warren in the last century, a great brother in Christ, debater of truth, debated as did many religious people, a guy named Antony Flew. Antony Flew was an atheist, and he was an aggressive atheist, and he was out there propagating all of that. But he, before he passed, in his latter years, he recanted where he had been. And it was because of people who were willing to challenge him. Now, I don't know if he ever obeyed the gospel, but he recanted his atheism. He accepted the testimony of Scripture, and he was a shock to all the atheists who used him as their banner. It doesn't matter how bad you are. Number two, it doesn't matter how late you come to Jesus. He'll take you. I believe that's what's going on in the parable of Matthew 20 concerning the man who was hiring people to work, you remember how it went. He, in the first part of the day, he went to these people and he says, you're just standing around doing nothing. Well, nobody's hired us. I'm hiring you right now. I'll pay you. Go work. And they went and worked. And he came and found different people to work at different hours of the day. And he got to the end of the day. And the people who had come the last hour of the day came first to be paid, and he paid them. And then he paid these, and then he paid these. And the ones who had worked all day long got the exact same pay, and they were upset. The landowner said, friend, I, I didn't do you anything wrong. When I hired you to work, I told you I was going to pay you. And I've paid you. And it's my money. And if I want to give you this and I want to give him the same thing that came late to work, that's my privilege. In a business sense, here's what he could say. That's just how it is. You want to find somebody else to work for? Go ahead. This is how it's going to be. Maybe Jesus is saying the same thing. 
Do I want to begrudge somebody who came to Jesus late in life? After I've spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years battling Satan, working with Christians up and down and roller coaster, and here is somebody who comes into the party late. And a year later they die and pass on. Am I going to be jealous that they got the same reward that I did? So it doesn't matter how late to the party you come. Jesus is going to accept you. I had the privilege many years ago of baptizing a 92-year-old man into Christ. 92. He didn't live much longer. But I have confidence that he has the same reward that awaits a teenager that has obeyed the gospel. So it doesn't matter. Number three, it doesn't matter how much you know, really. When you come to Jesus, He accepts you. It doesn't matter how much you know. I find it fascinating in Acts 19. Paul comes to these people, and he's talking to them, and he finds out. He asks the question, he says, did you receive the Spirit when, when you obeyed the gospel? And they said, we've not even heard if there is a Spirit. I never thought about that much until today. And I'm thinking, how basic is that? Everybody knows about the Holy Spirit. I may not have all the same views, but everybody knows about the Holy Spirit. They didn't even know. They'd not even been taught. Well, then how did you... How were you baptized under John's baptism? Ah, oh. they knew nothing. But in that setting, ever how long it lasted, he taught them the gospel and they obeyed. They didn't know anything. Those people in Acts 2, they didn't know anything either. They just knew that one sermon. There are some people who have sat here for years hearing and listening to the Word of God. They know a lot, but they haven't obeyed. Others have not been very long, and very little do they know, but they have obeyed. The Lord never refuses those people. Number four. Jesus will never refuse anybody, any disciple, who returns from having been away. There may be no greater example of that in Scripture than Peter. In John 18, you know the story. Three times denied Jesus. Denied even knowing him. Denied even being around him. Denied not only denying, but lying. You ever thought about that? His denial was a lie. In the passage of John 18, the text says that the third person who asked him, 
was a relative of Malchus whose ear John or Peter had cut off. And he goes, I saw you in the garden. Not me. It wasn't me. Not only was he denying Jesus, he was lying in his denial. But he came back, didn't he? John 21. In fewer than 40 days, he denied Jesus three times. And in John 21, in fewer than 40 days, he came back. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Three denials, three opportunities to erase them. He came back. Anybody who wants to come back, doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're coming back from a place that you've come back from many times before. Same place. I'm sorry, I was over there. Later, I'm back. I was over there. If it's the same place you're coming back from, he still take you. If you're coming back over and over and over from different places, he'll still take you. Because it's okay to come back. And it's okay to come back even if after being back, you still get tempted by the same thing from which you returned. He still says, I'll take you. No problem. Remember, not long into the ministry that Peter had, about 20 years, he denied again in the incident of refusing to eat with Gentile Christians. That's a denial. You can always come back. But I want to close with this. He will never allow us to be quiet about who he is and who we are. Never. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 14. There is a word I want to call attention to. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. I want to concentrate on that charging them. The Greek word is diamachuramai. It means testify. It's witnessing, marchuria, from within, dia. Witnessing, testifying from within. The word is always used in language terms, what's called the middle voice. Middle means personal involvement. I see myself, that's middle. I will do it myself, that's middle. 
to testify always involves you. It always involves self. It always involves my experience, where I've been and what I'm doing. It's used 15 times in the New Testament. There's not a command anywhere in the New Testament that I can find that I'm supposed to be involved in testifying. There's one passage, this one, where Timothy was told to do it. Here's what I think. I think testifying is a natural reaction. I think it is something that you just can't help because only you know where you have been. Only I know where I have been. Only I can tell my story. Only you can tell your story. I don't have to be told to go and do it. It's just what I do. Because when you're talking to somebody about Jesus, you're going to tell your story to some extent, aren't you? You can't help it. I don't need to find a command that says, go tell them what you did. Because every time you teach someone the gospel, you're telling them your story. You won't tell it the way I tell mine. Your story will be different, but it's your story. It's your testifying. It's what you're saying. And it's natural. And he will never want me to be quiet today. Things Jesus couldn't do and things Jesus wouldn't do. I hope they have caused us to be very peaceful, to be very sure, to be very decisive that no matter what, I can depend on Jesus. The only question is, can he depend on me? If you're ready, obey your Lord. If you're wanting these people to help, let's stand. Let's sing together in a way that encourages and inspires and helps each of us. If somebody needs to change, we do it with this song. Let's sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.